Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the amazing Rachel Koo, the chef, food writer, broadcaster and founder of Collect, which is described as a creative studio based in London and an online community celebrating inspiration found in unlikely places. At 26, Rachel left her London job working in PR to move to Paris and learn to bake. According to the Times, she contacted Penguin with the idea of the Little Paris Kitchen cookbook in 2012, which has since gone on to be translated into 12 different languages. And it also led to a BBC Two series pulling in almost 2 million viewers. She has just released her sixth cookbook called The Little Swedish Kitchen and Rachel is currently filming her eighth television series. She also co-hosts Dumbo's Just Desserts, which was aired in the summer of 2016, but is now screening everywhere around the world on Netflix. In this episode, we talk about her career path, why she loves living in Sweden. We talk about the culture there and the sort of work-life balance that they've got going and what we can learn really from Swedish culture, especially when it comes to food. And and we talk about the food industry a bit and also why it's okay to be proud of your work. I really enjoyed speaking to Rachel. I turned up at her house. She'd invited a few people around for dinner to sort of celebrate the little Swedish kitchen. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes and I'll see you next week. Here it is. (laughs) Hello, Rachel Koo. Welcome to Control-Alt-Delete. Full disclaimer to anyone listening right now, I gate-crashed a dinner that Rachel invited me to and basically said, can we do the podcast? So thank you. That's absolutely fine. We're also sharing a microphone because I had a bit of a meltdown. You came to one of my live events, actually, quite a while ago. And before that, I'd already read some of your books and was so intrigued about your career. But would you be able to tell me a little bit about the unconventional route in? Because I feel like it is a different story, the way that you ended up where you are now. So basically, well, I'm a food writer and a broadcaster. Um, and the way I ended up in it, it was I had like a, in my mid-20s, I was fed up doing PR marketing in London. So I thought I'll give it up and move to Paris and learn how to bake. So I moved to Paris, learned how to bake. Uh, and then for several years, I was trying to work in the food world, styling, writing recipes, uh, wrote some cookbooks in French. And then my big break happened when I wrote The Little Paris Kitchen, which was my story about cooking in a very small kitchen in Paris. So that's how I kind of ended up doing what I do now. It sounds like that took you by surprise because that was so successful and it felt like a bit of a whirlwind, you know, not out of the blue, but just did it take you by surprise? How did you handle all that attention on you suddenly? Well, I think it happened because I had a BBC Two TV series. So that kind of projected everything. And this was pre-social media being very big. I had a blog. There was Facebook. Um, So social media was kind of happening, but not like it is today. So it did take me in surprise that I wasn't expecting that reaction. So it took me a surprise that it resonated so much, you know, having a small kitchen and, and using what you have and making it work. 
taking a step back a bit because I feel like your story is really inspirational for loads of reasons but one of them is when you start working you sort of sometimes have your first job which is kind of random but maybe could be connected but you didn't you work in PR at the very very beginning how did you get out of that sort of first job you were in and actually take the first step maybe towards what you're doing now so what I did was I mean I went to art college so the PR marketing thing happened because I wanted to do a semi-creative I wanted to be in a creative job but I couldn't get a creative job when I graduated like like a graphic designer or something like that so I needed something which paid so the only paid semi-creative job I could find was like in PR marketing so I ended doing that kind of because that's what paid the bills and then to get into food it was something I always wanted to get back into but it was like taking that leap of leap of faith and saying I'm going to take that risk and go for it I saved up money for over a year I had like as well as my full-time PR job I was like babysitting I baked cakes for kids parties to save up money to move to Paris I got a job as au pair like I, I, I had to work twice as hard to make it happen and I think first you've got to take the risk and then it's going to be hard graft then really talks about the failures you know the amount of doors I've knocked which never opened the amount of you know I mean I had some awful jobs like telemarketing I used to ring up directors of companies and talk to them about this concept called wi-fi it's like you know you connect to the internet through through the air and you know I hated that job but it it paid my bills which made made it possible for me to do freelance work which wasn't paying at that time so you have to sacrifice a lot if you really want to make it happen it's really interesting because I also worked in PR for the first like two years of my career and I feel that actually I soaked up so much like a sponge and now people obviously contact me or PR is always in the mix even when I'm like marketing my own book and I feel like it's a skill that we all need actually being good at that um I wanted to also ask you about something I read but it was on your Wikipedia so I don't even know if it's that true (laughs) I feel like it's the worst reference ever but didn't you weren't you very good at social media getting the word out there about some of your restaurants I wondered if you could talk a bit about that because it's so important isn't it yeah it was something it was funny because I've always embraced um blogging and you know back in the day I'm showing my age MySpace (laughs) so I used to be really onto MySpace and I contacted a lot of people through MySpace but when I started up my pop-up restaurant in my little studio in Paris which was a table for two I had a newsletter which people could sign up to and every month I would send out right these are the days I'm going to have my restaurant come if you want and then if I had any cancellations I'd put it on Facebook Um, the Instagram wasn't really happening at that point so it was like Facebook and newsletter and my blog so I've always been into blogging in that sense. I'm less social media now than I used to be, which is is odd, but I kind of I don't know. I've I have a love-hate relationship with it, and I think a lot of people do that, but I I feel like uh, it's this it's like Tamagotchi. It constantly needs feeding, and um and I don't know if my value in my work lies in social media or whether 
you know, I should be investing it in creating stuff. So that's my problem I have at the moment, which I'm constantly like questioning, oh, maybe I should do more Insta stories of me like walking down the street and talking and and I just can't do it. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, because if if I feel like Instagram is where my like self-worth is, I can get really into that spiral. But actually, it's not it's not anything to do with that. It's, it's actually outside of social media is where I feel fulfilled. But do you think that when you start becoming successful in what you do and people know who you are and your cookbooks are in Sainsbury's and you know it's proper mainstream do you feel like you don't have to be on it as much um it's interesting because if you look at book sales that the people who have really successful cookbooks are either tv chefs who've got like primetime tv shows or they are heavily invested in a social media platform like i mean heavily invested so if you look at bosch uh, like the vegan guys from bosch tv they sold a huge amount of cookbooks very successful but they really you can see the amount of time and effort and they put into that and I'm like how do they do that I mean just writing the recipes for the cookbook researching I don't have time to be constantly on social media to create all this content and and also give away all this free content so it's it's for me the problem is I'm only one person I can only do so much and actually when I look at my sales it's not actually the social media driving my sales. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's not. Social media doesn't equate sales for me. I think that's actually really inspiring hearing those sides of the story because I interviewed Yasmin Khan recently <laughs> and she was saying, you know, her book sales aren't from social media and, and she's got quite a modest following because she doesn't, I suppose, go on it as much, but it doesn't matter. She's still got best-selling books every time. And I feel like those are the stories that are really powerful because I would hate for people to think you just just need that. But I really want to talk to you about Little Swedish Kitchen. Um, you, your publisher kindly sent me a copy and I'm so excited to make something from it. But I wanted to talk to you about Sweden because in my world of like, we're talking about multi-hyphenate living and stuff, Sweden is so interesting to me the work-life balance the well-being the I don't know I feel like the culture is amazing would you be able to talk a little bit about what it's like living there so I've been living Sweden for full-time like properly for about three years um and what I found and also from writing the cookbook is that they have a very more relaxed approach to everything you know, um, that work-life balance that does exist, that, um, y- you know, especially, I mean, the the government makes it possible, especially if you're a parent, you know, you get 480 days parental leave, that's for the couple to split how they want, you know, um, and, it, it, you know, you're guaranteed a nursery spot, which is heavily subsidized. So as a woman, for me, like having a family in Sweden, it enables me not to have to worry about the financial obligations of childcare because I can afford to have a career and have a child. So um, it, it's amazing to have that opportunity. And then, and then the work-life balance, you think everybody, okay, the, the winters are long and dark and cold, but people go out and they'll seize that opportunity to um, enjoy the nature and outside um, summer holidays, you know, forget July. July, everybody's off, you know, the whole July people off and so there is that culture of you know 
work-life balance I that's what I've experienced you know I'm sure there's some Swedes out there who could talk differently but that's my experience they have a word called lagom which means it depends who you ask but it means in the middle like imagine Goldilocks the perfect porridge so everything's just right so for Sweden they like to have things just right not too extravagant and not too understated it's just in the middle if you think about Swedish design it's like it's just it's just right you know and so the approach to life and work it's just about getting that right balance you still want to have that career and that excitement and that interest but you want to have that family and that downtime so that's what I've experienced um people experience different things so yeah I love that. And um, in the intro to your newest cookbook, what you were saying about how there's no such thing as bad weather, there's just bad clothes. And I wondered how does this all translate into food? Because I love the idea that it's really cold outside, but everyone's still playing outside or going for dinner with their friends. Because I feel like here, maybe it's just me, if it's cold, I'm less likely to go out and I'm less likely to go out for dinners, see my friends. I'm more likely to stay in. How does a Swedish food culture kind of work with that so what's interesting about swedish food unlike italian or spanish or french where they have this amazing produce produce because of the geographical you know location the way they can grow things sweden is potatoes it's root vegetables it's cabbage it's not the glamorous stuff but they find simple and creative ways of making delicious food. And I think it's the approach to food I've always had throughout my food career is like, it doesn't matter what you're given, it can be something small and something humble, like a cabbage, you could still make something delicious out of it, you know? And that's that, that approach to to uh, Swedish life in general. It's like, just because you're given crappy weather <laughs> doesn't mean that should stop you from enjoying life you know you can still seize the moment and that's something I I think throughout my life I think I always approach that you know I moved to Paris I didn't know anybody it was really tough I lived in a crappy little studio apartment you know I could hear the neighbors Sunday evening it was always Sunday evening they got a little bit yeah romantic (laughs) but you know you like you live in a crappy old studio and I had a two ring like gas stove, but I still said, right, I'm going to write a cookbook. I'm going to tell people about my food. I'm going to do a table for two and that will work for me. Sweden, you know, um, like the food culture is different. It's not, you know, as rich in the sense they don't have the same produce, but you can still do something exciting and innovative. And actually it's quite modern approach to cooking because a lot of people don't want to have like 20 ingredients on their shopping list. They just want to have a handful. So I like that approach of like taking less and making the most of it. That simplicity is so nice to hear because I think life can be very overwhelming and if you can strip things back be it your work or your life or your food or what's in your fridge I love that and do you think that plays a little bit into less waste because I know Melissa Hemsley who is a mutual friend of ours her approach seems to be very much like what's in your fridge what's in your cupboards what can you make 
Yeah. So, I mean, with my approach to Swedish food, I always think like you don't need a whole pantry full of ingredients. You probably already have the ingredients I'm suggesting in the cookbook, in the recipes at home. Or if you don't, you can just nip to your corner shop and get it. it it's like it's you can replace it with things. It's very interchangeable. And the idea is that these are recipes that should spark ideas. And you like look in the fridge. Well, you know, I can't use that ingredient, but I could easily switch it for something else. So I really want to encourage people to just cook and and like get that confidence in the kitchen and say, okay, well, Rachel's suggesting this, but I actually think I could do it like this. So that's absolutely fine with me. Just don't come back to me <laughs> and say it's like, well, it did turn out well like it. <laughs> I love that because I'm terrible at cooking I'm honestly I feel so lucky that I have friends who know things about food because I'm terrible and I also get really put off by like go and get this very niche spice I just I I just want straight up ingredients um so I really like that but with traveling around so much do you do you find like you've still got an itch to travel or do you feel like you just like to kind of nest and stay in one place these days I'm very fortunate. For some reason, they like me in Japan. <laughs> so my cookbooks and my TV shows are translated into Japanese. And I was in Tokyo this September. I actually met the actress who does my Japanese voice, which was really weird. So um, I'm very fortunate. I still get to travel a little bit. I was in Australia as well last year, uh, filming a TV show or two TV shows in Sydney. So I definitely need that traveling or not even that traveling it's meeting people like um, I really like the offline experience of of meeting people you might follow like I follow you on social media and I've been wanting to meet you for ages so, <laughs> so I've like the people who I follow on social media and I'm like you know what I really want to meet you I send them a message. Do you want to come around for dinner? Do you want to go for a coffee? They might say they're too busy. That's absolutely fine. But I think it's so important if you can to make these real connections because um, it's great being on social media, but there's something there's something great about sitting down and having a meal with some, somebody or just sharing a coffee or having a chat. Um, I'm a bit old fashioned, but I really like that. <laughs> No, I'm exactly the same. I mean, it's, I always say this, especially when people talk about how to get ahead in your career. I'm like, well, it does not come from sitting behind a computer screen, just like refreshing things and liking things. You you have to get out there and meet people in person. Social media is like a bonus. And also, isn't food for sharing and, and an experience? I haven't met anyone who works in the food industry who thinks it's about sitting at home on your own. Talking of the food industry as a whole I just wanted to ask you I feel like you're someone who has such a level-headed very kind of switched on approach to just having fun making things do you feel like the food conversation could be quite overwhelming sometimes because I feel like every single weekend I pick up the newspapers and I'm like whoa there's another headline on something yes (laughs) uh totally I mean I this is why I always try to go beyond food I mean food is a great connector it brings people together but at the end of the day it's just a recipe I am not trying to make world peace or whatever whatever it's just some food so for me food is a means of being creative but I could easily be creative with illustration or meeting people or events or anything so it is overwhelming 
overwhelming with the information out there. I am somebody who's like, I just think, enjoy life. Everything in moderation, as they say. Um, I'm not like, a, I'm, not, I'm not a specialist. I'm not a dietitian. If people want health advice, there are a lot of people, so many more people out there who know know better than me for me food is enjoyable food is there to share and it should be a pleasure like that's what I love about food because it brings people together it's so much more than that isn't it you're basically you're playing a tiny part maybe in someone's dinner party or someone's I don't know experience with their partner it's it's like yeah it's, it's about way more than that and actually in the intro I love how you say I'm not an expert in Swedish cooking as in, this is my take on it. Do you think that's like a confidence that comes from working for a few years? Or have you always been confident? Because I think there's loads of people out there who are like, oh, I'm not really an expert in this. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Look, it. this is the first book for me, and I've written six cookbooks now, where I can say, you know what, I'm a writer. I went to art college to avoid writing you know my way of expressing myself was a visual way and now I've been writing I've written six cookbooks and this one I'm like you know what I know how to write a story it might need, might not be like Anthony Bourdain it might not be like Nigel Slater or Nigella Lawson but my way of telling my story is still written it still has value and so with this cookbook I actually feel confident to say you know what this is my take. This is how I've experienced it. You can have a different take. That's absolutely fine. But this is my story. And so I actually, the, the French have a word they say, assume, which it, I don't know if you can translate it as to assume, but you actually take pride in your work. And it's only something I've actually felt now um, and it takes a while sometimes you know and you have good days and bad days but I think sometimes you just have to own it and go for it I mean if you can't own it after six best-selling cookbooks <laughs> I'd be worried about you no totally I think it's, that's a, such a good point and as well with your cookbooks a lot a lot of work goes into them like they're so beautiful how much goes how much work goes on behind the scenes when it comes to cookbooks because you know, the beautiful imagery, all of the kind of layout. I mean, I'm asking because I have no idea. What what could you paint a bit of a picture about, about that? It's a lot of work. I mean, you're looking at a good year, if not longer. Some people spend longer on a cookbook. But so you come up with your idea. Then you've got to do all the research. You go meet people. You go taste things. You go experience things. Then you have to do all the developing and testing the recipes. You know, I might make a recipe 10 times until I'm happy with it. And then you get to the, the fun part, I think, is like when you do the photo shoot, when you, you know, you make the recipes for the photo. So I work with a photographer, David Loftus, who is, I mean, what I love was I, I've assisted on a photo shoot when I was at uni and I was making tea and coffee and he was the photographer. And even back then, he was nice to me. And that's what I always say. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, be nice to everybody and anyone because you don't know who you're going to be on the way up and who you're going to meet on the way down. So I work with him. Then I usually work with Frankie Unsworth, who is a food stylist. She's also written her own cookbook. Um, and then a prop stylist, uh, and there'll be the art director from Penguin usually involved. So it's a little team, and actually I like that because there's some 
food writers who do the photography, the styling, they do everything, which I think that's amazing. But, you know, writing a cookbook or writing in general, it's such a lonesome thing. So when you get the opportunity to work with other people, you're like, yes, bounce creative ideas. You know, it's it's a fun experience. That's what that's what I like. So you create the imagery. Um, all the copy goes to the editor. It gets copy edited. Then you work with uh, the art director about the layout you know which photos you're going to use usually you've got way too many photos it's like a hard dilemma which ones you're going to put in the big question is the cover even the paper the binding do you get a fabric bookmark or not is there a budget for that you know it's crazy amount of detail which goes into it so um yeah I love the whole putting it together, creating something, which is just an idea in your head. And then you end up with an end product. Uh, And then you have all the marketing and PR. Now social media is a big part of it. So you've got to do a whole social media plan. Most publishers now expect you to have a decent social media following, which, uh, yeah, it's a bit scary. So there's a lot of pressure with that. Um, Yeah, so it's a 360 kind of product. And with the TV stuff as well, does that that tie in like pre-book or does it come after or how does that work? Ah, TV. I get asked a lot, how do I get into TV? I don't know how you get into TV. The way I got into TV is like for the Little Paris Kitchen, I was like, you know what? I'm writing this cookbook. I think it'd make a good TV show. I went around the production company saying, look, I've got this idea what do you think? Some production companies did even give me a meeting. Some production companies say, oh, well, this is like 10 years ago. They said, um, you're a little bit old. <laughs> or some said, oh, I think you need a guy to present with you. Um, or I think we need to rename the show Queen of Tarts. Um, <laughs> so you get a lot of funny propositions. But for me, it was really important. I said to them, look, this is my idea this is what I want to do. I need to be authentic to myself. And I stuck to my like gut feeling. And there's a lot to be said about gut feeling. So I picked a production company said, right, we get you. We understand you want to be involved in the production. And this is your idea. And you don't need to change. We're just gonna, we're just gonna create this series like you envisaged it. So that's how I got into TV because I picked, I think I picked the production company who understood my values and then we pitched to the various different channels. And so that's how I ended up on TV. And then the publisher and the uh, TV channel worked together to have it aligned. But So with A Little Swedish Kitchen, the cookbooks come out, but I filmed the TV show in October. We're in post-production now. So the TV show will probably be out, be out I think spring this year, I'm not sure. So um, it hasn't aligned. It's very hard to align things just because the way TV works. In general, it's very hard to get TV show commissioned nowadays. Um, It's not an easy thing. I wondered with food and with the pitching process of TV, you know, sometimes people are like the new Phoebe Waller-Bridge or the new Lena Dunham or the new whatever. They do it with women more than men. Is there any of that in food, like the new Nigella or the new Rachel Koo? When I came out on TV, I was like, oh, the British version of Amelie. 
Yeah, because I had this fringe. I had this like really blunt fringe, so it looked a little bit Amelie. Um, but they did give me the new Nigella title. Uh, and I thought, well, there's only one Nigella, you know, why? Yeah, I mean, amazing compliment, you know, amazing. But still, I felt like, can you not value me for who I am, you know? And it's just typecasting. It is what it is. TV, they love to put you in a box, you know. Um, and uh, unlike YouTube and all these social media platforms where you have control yourself, TV is still a little bit old-fashioned. Um, and I think it's definitely changing. But back when I started, um, generally, and I got in a lot of trouble because I went on national TV, breakfast TV, and I said that middle-aged white men are the TV chefs who are being commissioned. And if you looked on the terrestrial TV, you could still see the majority is pretty much middle-aged white men. So... Um, and I voiced my opinion and that got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but why Why did people have a problem with that? Like that's, it's such an obvious and fair statement, I would say. TV or anything is very political. It's like who you know and yeah, everything. everything's like you scratch somebody's back, I scratch your back. It's kind of the way it is. Like, I'm being very frank, but <laughs> it is what it is. I'm going to get into even more trouble if my agent hears this. I'm like, Rachel, shh, be quiet. <laughs> but I totally, I mean, I totally agree. And also on podcasts, I feel like you maybe can be a bit more out there with what you're saying. But I don't even think that's very controversial at all. I mean, I was watching Sunday Brunch the other day and I do like it, but I just find it not very interesting with their guests. But my last question before we get to hang out properly <laughs> is um what are you excited about coming up i'm guessing you're going to say the book but like what's what's in store for the next few months um i'm being nosy so um the last uh, well my cookbook my the little swedish kitchen is being translated into swedish <laughs> so i thought that's really random and japanese later on this year so that's really cool um the tv show then i filmed another season of Zumbo's Just Desserts, which is a Netflix show, totally different, different kind of realm of food TV, but it's quite fun to do. So um, I'm in post-production and promotion for that. And then I'm at the crossroads right now to thinking what I want to do next. I'm not really sure. So I'm kind of in the moment of research and development of where I want to take things, five-year plan, three-year plan, yeah so it's a bit like I don't know right now <laughs> I mean you've got enough on your plate no pun intended with that I mean there's a lot lot happening thank you so much sorry that we had to share a microphone and thank you for coming on and doing dinner tonight it's so exciting pleasure anytime <laughs>